Podcast, your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by James Boyman and Ryan Williams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James here, joined as always by Ryan and the return of the man himself, the pod father. It is Alex Johnson back on the pod. How you doing, Alex? Hello, I'm good. Thank you uh, very much for the invitation. It's good to have Alex back in the fold. And boy, do we have a lot to discuss, gentlemen. It has been a, uh, just frankly, insane 72 hours as the European Super League was launched and then spectacularly crashed in short order. Aww. To to everyone's, I think, just joy and jubilation. But is it really dead? We will discuss that and much more, but we'll take it over to Ryan to start to set the stage and steer the conversation. Yeah, we figured it would be a nice um, little change of pace to give the try and give as much American perspective on this as well. We've heard a lot of the English perspective and some of the other European ones, but um, there are some distinctly American aspects of this. But um, without further ado, let's kind of set the scenes here. Uh, let's first let's talk about the proposal. I think most people know the details, but it's 12 club announcement. All of them announced at the same time at like 11 p.m., which shows you how much concern they had of the fans. Um the idea is the format's going to have 15 permanent spots and five will be determined by some qualification process. That's Florentino Perez's claim. It's an open system. <laughs> um, yeah. And, they, they, and, you know, they thought that they would play in the domestic leagues uh, during during the weekend and they would play these matches during the week. Um, and they were promised by J.P. Morgan up front. They were going to, you know, finance it through private equity and they would all get a big payment of like 425 million up front to join. So um, a lot of logic behind this and whatnot. But, you know, just the, the proposal itself, I think, gentlemen, the immediate reaction for that is, I mean, there's no consultation and stuff. I, I don't know how they thought this would be received, but I mean, you kind of know where this was was headed. Yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting is that the news broke earlier in the day, right? And so you had the, or it leaked, I guess. And so you had the first initial 12 hours or so of people going ballistic. Yeah. And to me, I was like, well, okay, well, they clearly see the reaction's not good. So uh, <laughs> maybe that will scare them off. And then they just dropped the news in sync on everyone's head at like 11 p.m. And everyone went nuts. And rightfully so. It was uh, something that I think people had kind of foreseen coming for a long time. But the lack of consultation, the lack of any sort of like preamble, they just said, we're doing this. It's a done deal. We're gone. Um, and just the, the football world erupted in fury. It was crazy. Yeah. And I, I think I, I think, you know, the big part of it is is kind of the players and the people. And I think the characters behind it kind of give it a lot of the narrative, too. And, and so if those are kind of the mouthpieces and we'll get into the players a little bit in a second. That probably didn't help things, at least the way it was presented. I mean, do we not agree? Right. Yeah, I agree, too, because the players and managers, none of them seem to be in the know at all. Um, they all seem to find out at the exact same time as we did. I think the delivery in general was just pompous, like the idea itself, right? The idea that we're going to deliver this and it's going to happen simply because we are who we are. 
They're saving That's football. That's why there was no consultation. They're saving football. I mean, they, this is right. this is God's work, man. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, it, the, the, the delivery was as pompous as the idea itself, really. Well, so so how do we think this came about? Because, I, yes, I think we all saw this and, and we're just sh- almost shocked. I, I can't remember the Everton statement, but it was like the arrogance, the preponderant arrogance, whatever the term was. Preposterous arrogance. Preposterous arrogance, which Beautiful. is it's right. Right. Totally is. So I thought it would be interesting to take a little spin down memory lane and kind of hit some of the players here. So um, the Super League would be led by, of course, Florentino Perez, uh, president of Real Madrid. Um, frankly, he's about the only one that can afford the down payment to run for president anymore. Uh, that's probably not going to be the case going forward anyway. And it'd be vice chaired by Andrea Agnelli from Juventus, uh, another special guy and Joel Glazer from Manchester United, which I don't know how it's possible considering he doesn't even speak. Um, but anyway, that's the Glazer family of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, of course. So, so Perez immediately as part of the delivery gave this interview, uh, with, um, you know, Spanish language, uh, La Liga focused uh, channel mega and their uh, one of their big kind of talk programs. And I mean, immediately he gives this whole delivery and linking it to COVID and the reason why we need the super league. And I, I mean, it's, it's pretty shocking TV, I think for most. And I, I just think this is a big part of the delivery, right? This is your main guy, the president. And I, I just cannot believe, and maybe things are a little bit different in Spain. Uh, certainly the, the amount and percentage of fandom uh, Real Madrid and Barcelona compared to the rest of Spain is significant. But how could anyone have reasonably sat there and listened to this and thought this guy is not, he's just not with it. It was crazy to, to think that this is going to be the guy you're going to send out as the face of this new global enterprise, this cash grab, whatever you want to call it, this disgraceful uh, foray into, uh, I don't know what, whatever you want to call it. He says so many absurd things. He says, woe is us. We have no money. We're going bankrupt. We need to save football. And yeah, there's a lot of clubs at the bottom of the pyramid that do need saving. And there's a lot that can be done. And it never really made it clear. And though he said subsequently, like this was our intent all along, how exactly these clubs breaking away and getting all these giant cash injections from JP Morgan would actually benefit anyone else. And if that is your message, you need to be a lot more concrete on the details of how exactly that's going to work. Because to everyone on the outside, it sounded like we're leaving. We want all the money. We don't feel like we get enough of the money already. And so we're just going to take pretty much all that we can. And you're all going to be left uh, basically to uh, wither and die. And people didn't like that very much. Shocker. Yeah, I mean, he almost came across like a Bond villain in this one. You know what I mean? Truly. It was, it was kind of crazy. Like a cartoon and, villain. Yeah, that's, I mean, it, it was just hard to believe. And you can't tell if he's just out of touch or, or what the deal is or, you know, and he's been working with these same guys for a while. So we'll skip over the Glaziers. I mean, obviously, since they took over in 2005, I mean, it prompted the formation of FC United. And that's a whole other interesting foray, by the way. But I think Ed Woodward is really kind of his key guy there, too. He's also an ex-JP Morgan guy, too. And an he's, ex-United guy now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. We'll get into that later. But yeah, I mean, he's he's been the driving force behind a lot of these, and we'll get into the history in a second, too. So he's really the main proxy here. And then there's Andrea Agnelli, uh, chairman, who's also, the, the funny part about it is he was chairman of the European Club Association. And they had already kind of worked into some of these reforms um, and, and had been there for a while. 
his family is the fiat family. So they're very powerful and everything like this. But but like I have this quote that I put into our doc that I really wanted to read because I think this speaks to the type of person he was. And I don't know if people remember this, but um, when Alonso was going to qualify, you know, in essence for the Champions League, he seemed appalled by that. So here, here's his actual quote. I have great respect for what Atalanta is doing, but without international history and with the great sporting performance, they have had direct access to the highest European club competition. Is this right or not? Then I think of AS Roma, who have helped to maintain Italy's European club competition ranking in recent years. They've had a bad season and they're out of the Champions League and they miss out on what comes with it in terms of money. We also need to protect investments and costs. I mean, if this is really what this guy's believing, I mean, is there any surprise he's the other guy along with Perez trying to push this? No, it's really, it's really no. no there's there, no. there's no surprise there. These guys, no. uh, they want to. They it's money to them. They want to protect investment. They don't care about the game itself. They don't care about the well being of the sport. They want to line their own pockets. I think what's difficult, though, as an American, and I'm sure some will argue with us from a social and economic standpoint, whether there's what to what degree classism exists in American society. But but really, I mean, I, I don't know of or haven't dealt with too many people that at least openly will talk about how they clearly are just better or that certain aspects of society are just better than others, because that's what I hear when he says this. I mean, this sounds like an absolute elitist to me. Even the wealthiest people in America are not that tone deaf because the average American would just go nuts for that type of thing. So I don't know if this is acceptable, but I, this, that is a shocking quote. But every action seems to endorse kind of that perspective. And I find it shocking that anyone would think this would be well received if these were the two guys delivering it. I mean, come on. Right. I mean, based on the statement and, and based on the idea of the league itself, I mean, a lot of it seems to be better than insecurity of 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 protecting what's theirs at the quote unquote top. Right. It's yeah, it's it's an it's an over reliance on how they think they can build a brand versus how they can build a team that performs on the pitch. Yeah. And so if they have all this history that they can beat on the drum with, then maybe they don't have to perform on the pitch. Maybe they can just sell the rights themselves. They don't need UEFA. Uh, that's it. Just vertically integrate. Well, right. But the funniest part about that is who becomes the good guys in all this? I mean, this has got to be the biggest heel WWE storyline turn ever. The good guys are UEFA and FIFA. Like, how could that possibly? And, and actually, to, to be perfectly honest, Alex Serafin, who was kind of brought in after, you know, all the uh, all the, you know, scandals and whatnot uh, and still happening, basically, with the World Cup. Um, he, he's actually been pretty amazing in this. Um you know, he actually had split former guy. Hopefully he wasn't there when Everton were there. Uh, <laughs> that didn't go well, but yeah, I mean, he, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't come from like a big club or has a big club mentality, uh, but it's kind of crazy. I mean, this, keep in mind, this guy's godfather to Agnelli's daughter. Uh, he is a former lawyer, but I mean, some of the quotes he gives are nothing short of just amazing. I mean, saying that he's not seen like this level of deceit, in his 24 years as like a criminal attorney. I mean, Calling people snakes. I mean, it was like, he called it, I'm pretty sure he called Ed Woodward a snake. I mean, it was, 
it was beautiful. And it's like, it's such a mind bending thing because you obviously think of, I mean, we know how corrupt FIFA is. We know how corrupt these institutions are. And yet all of a sudden everyone's like, yeah, UEFA, get them, go after them, get them, go FIFA. We know FIFA's like, you know, letting Qatar, you know, use slave labor to build their world cup stadiums. And yet we're all of a sudden like, no, beat these billionaires down, put them in their place. It was, it was really like truly mind bending, but you know, the enemy of my enemies, my friend type of situation. So, uh, but that's really how it played out. The quotes are unbelievable, though. I mean, they're unbelievable. Think about this. Like, I don't this is this is him speaking about it, Agnelli. I don't want to be too personal, but the fact is that I've never seen a person that would lie so many times and persistently <laughs> than he did. It was unbelievable. I mean, he said he goes on to he says, I spoke with him on Saturday afternoon and he said that these are only rumors. Don't worry. Nothing is going on. Then he said, I will call you in one hour and turned off his phone. The next day we get the announcement. I mean, that is that's like high school type deception. What? I mean, it's, it's almost, I mean, this is, you can't make this stuff up. You know what I mean? It's, it's really amazing. And, you know, and, and I think some of his reactions to, and the threats were very interesting. And I, and it sounded like these guys were prepared for some of them, but you do kind of wonder, it sounds like he had the support of uh, Infantino, who's a FIFA president who, who condemned it as well afterwards. But man, do we think they really could have said and banned international players from playing in the world cup. I mean, it sounded like he didn't think they could enact measures quickly enough to ban them on the euros for the summer. So, so maybe there would have had to be like legislation or policy to be released by UEFA specifically, but like I, players do care about that. I know some people think that all players are greedy, you know, money grubbers, but that really matters. And, and by the way, I can't I mean, imagine what the U S national team would look like without Winston McKinney. Christian Pulisic and, and Dest. I mean, you think Everton's a little thin, <laughs> you know, but, but in all seriousness, I mean, this back and forth is pretty shocking stuff. And yeah, he called Woodward a snake. <laughs> if I start with Ed Woodward, because it will be shorter. <laughs> I mean, he just calls him. I mean, this is, this is pretty shocking stuff, right? I mean, but clearly he was blindsided by it. Um, and then they all resign from the European club association which Agnelli was the head of who were the entire group of people that had negotiated all these new reforms to the champions league, which they were ratifying on Monday. And then, I mean, Perez in his interview basically said, Oh, it's not enough because this happens in 2024. I mean, I don't know what your take on is this, but this to me, like, especially Seraphin's responses to it, to see like a, a figure at this level of professional associations. And this is that to me was maybe the most shocking aspect of this whole thing. Yeah, I mean, you see these guys and and they are just mudslinging. And, and it really just speaks to the fact that truly it appears that everyone from the top, besides maybe a handful of people at the very top of each of these clubs, had no idea that this was going to happen. The players didn't know. The managers didn't How know. How is that possible, though? It I mean, makes really? no sense. Like, if you want to, if you're going to institute gigantic levels of change, you need to. You can't just drop it on everyone's heads out of nowhere and then, you know, send out these people who are publicly facing to uh, basically be the because none of these owners will speak. They, they ended up having to today apologizing. But at the time, it was like Jurgen Klopp and Thomas Tuchel that had to come out and like give these interviews. And they're like, I don't know what the heck's going on. You're going to have to ask the guys at the top. And that doesn't feel good if you have to feel like you have to talk around or defend something that you completely disagree with. And it's going to, it's going to breed resentment. 
Yeah, that's not really fair either to have that. I mean, it is funny, though. I mean, Klopp said a lot of things that I think were a little bit off. But it's one point, I think, that say that, well, we're the we're the mouthpieces for the whole club. And this is something that he really didn't know about. That's probably not a fair place place to put him in. I mean, so me and James were on social media like this whole time. I know, Alex, you're not as thank God for you is obsessed with getting, you know, we get wound up in it. I know I'm, I'm much worse than, than James too. <laughs> I, I'm just kind of curious, like how, how you were absorbing the news and consuming it. I mean, you had to get sucked in a little bit of some of the stuff at one point. Oh yeah. I mean, it was, it was all a, it was all a refresh of Reddit naturally nice. back to my roots, back nice. to um, classic R slash five real quick, every five minutes. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, pretty much. I did. I did get on Twitter for a bit um, to read uh, the Evertonians' opinions because that generally is is what I'm interested in. But um, it it was it was an insane last couple days in terms of news, but also how everything played out. And I, I uh, I'm I will say I was very surprised as I kept hitting refresh and news kept coming. That's yeah, all I have to say. It's pretty shocking. Uh, so. I, but in reality, it probably shouldn't have been. Uh, I mean, the tone deafness of the delivery, uh, the unawareness of the reactions, maybe maybe it was more calculated than we think. But but this has been happening for a long time. And I want to kind of walk through a little bit of the history real quick. Um, so Mark Twain has his famous quote, which I still haven't figured if he actually said or not. But that's another story. Rabbit hole for me. Um, his quote is, history does not repeat itself, but it rhymes. Because I think what's important is to wind this back and know that these guys have been at this for a while. So um, e even like the ECA was created in 2008. That, that was from the failed G14, which is basically the same thing. The elite clubs trying to go in there and be an elite board and influence things. And people also point to the Champions League as being kind of the downfall of a lot of this stuff and kind of the corporatism of it. I, I, I don't know if that's entirely true because I think more European spots in a way I think is compelling and interesting. Uh, and if it's run right, you know, it's, a, it, yeah, it's a money grab and stuff, but it's not supposed, if it's done right, it's not haves and have nots, you know, it's just more competition, but I understand that's not how it played, but, but regardless, um, you know, I, it's funny, all these guys form the super league in the league, and then they just leave the ECA and quit it. Um, but, but I mean, look, let's go back to September, 2019. So Agnelli and the ECA executive committee, they put forth a proposal that maybe people have forgotten, but they proposed out of a 32 team UCL, uh, you know, champions league, 24 of the clubs would have been fixed and permanent. Now it was soundly rejected by the ECA, right? So maybe that should have, should have been foreshadowed, but I mean, that kind of shows the intent. And then, then we go into October this past year with project big picture. I mean, do people forget about that? I mean, that was absolutely Ed Woodward. And Tom Warner, chairman, chairman of Liverpool. And I, I think it'll be very interesting. It goes in front of the Premier League, because although they may not be able to punish them in the right way because of voting rights in the way that works, they can do an inquiry and bring people in front of them. And and some of these guys have egos big enough. They'd probably spill some of the beans. But I mean, if you remember, I mean, Denise literally got in front of them by all accounts and demanded an apology from Woodward and Warner, which they refused to give. So, like, if we're starting to look at all these things. I mean. And Florentino Perez admitted today that this had been in the works for three years because of the pandemic, by the way, that was Gabriel Marcotti's con. By the way, they thought the black swan. That it's yeah. the best line. Isn't that the best observation? I mean, I love it. I mean, so he is, you know, the thing is, he could have stopped this whole thing if we'd have known it, it was coming three years ago, you know? It's just such a shame. You know, she's not an altruist. He used it to try and form a Super League. Anyway, so uh, we should have known this is coming, correct? And, and as a result, we probably should know it's going to continue in some fashion. Yeah, but to, to be 
fair, I mean, there were some kind of cracks that showed almost immediately upon the announcement of this, namely the clubs that they weren't able to get on board, PSG and Bayern being, I think, like the two biggest names, uh, Dortmund as well. But, you know, you're talking about a European Super League and you don't have the best clubs in uh, the best clubs in France and Germany. And you don't have either of the two teams that were in the UCL final last year. And so it kind of makes you scratch your head and be like, well, without without all the big clubs, without all of them, does it really carry the same weight? And obviously, like the 50 plus one rule, which is I think we're going to hear a lot more about in relation to English football in the coming weeks, whether it's even, I I think that cat's out of the bag, to be honest, personally, but it was clear that they weren't on board. And so you're wondering like, well, what, what did they hear that they weren't totally sold by? And and they maybe had the foresight to realize that this was a catastrophic PR decision from the the very get go. I think maybe the previous Bayern chairman, um, who I think was chair of the ECA at one point, maybe they misunderstood kind of Byron's commitment to it, but with the 50 plus one rule, this was never going to happen. No chance. Red Bull Leipzig would have been the one I thought that could have possibly made it happen. I know it's maybe unfair, but they, they immediately came out. Uh, Porto said no PSG said no, because I mean, Nasir Al-Khalifa is, he's the president. He's the chairman of being sports. I mean, they have the rights to the champions league. Why would you think they'd be for this? That, that's the other thing. And we'll get to the, it as a business proposition too, because I think it's foolish, but um, I, I mean, I, what do you think they did? Did they not expect also the response to be like major commentators spoke out about this? Gary Neville uh, was very eloquent about it. Jamie Carragher less so, but spoke out against it. I mean, did they think even if they were just random pundits, they wouldn't speak out against it. I mean, it, it stands to hurt all the broadcasters that are currently broadcasting in the mouthpiece for football across the world. I mean, should they have foreseen this or do we think they planned on this and just thought they could shove it down everyone's throats anyway? I mean, what do you guys think? I mean, really, the only way the league works, the only way money is made is on a media deal, which is what people are valuing so highly across sport in general. That's Absolutely. obviously what now drives the sport. Uh, but we've known that. Um, and and I think that if it requires fans to tune in and they went guns blazing, did not let anyone know, they announced it, right? That obviously means they genuinely thought fans would be overwhelmingly in support of it. Come on. You really? I, I, well, how I else? Think, how else? I know. I know. It just seems, it seems unbelievable, right? Like, could that really? Here's kind of my theory is that I think they said, okay, oh, James, James has the theory, by the way. So, you know, I, I literally just thought of this as Alex was talking. So oh, right. yeah. it's not You're a going, very, off, uh, going off script, <laughs> but my thought is like, did they might've thought, okay, well, none of the local fans are going to be into this, but we don't really care about them because we're really gearing towards a global audience. That's where the money's at. What they, I don't think they accounted for necessarily was that the, the international fans also have the same appreciation of the traditions by and large and the history of the game. And so in theory, you say, okay, well, all these international fans just want to see the best teams play each other. When I think at least speaking for us three, I think it's safe to say we, we weren't included. Not that I care, but we, we, every international fan. And I talked to Arsenal fans. I talked to Chelsea fans none, in America and none of them were for it because they recognize the precedent that it destroys and the importance of the traditions of the game. And so I thought maybe they 
maybe, oh, the Americans will love this. They'll all get behind us. And some idiots did. But for the most part, it was across the board, global condemnation as it should have been. And credit to the, again, the media guys who I, I don't like Neville Carragher all that much, but they did. They have been huge the last few days in speaking right to the root of the problem and speaking very uh, aggressively about it as well. I think the people's response, some of the other responses from the clubs were brilliant. I mean, let, let the Leeds t-shirts, I mean, oh, Terrace, so, so Terrence, Terrace life already has these t-shirts out there, but the fact that they took off their logo, put the champions league logo on there, by the way, I tried to buy one of these from one of my brethren's out in Leeds, uh, you know, sent me the link and stuff. The shipping cost of America is like 26 pounds, <laughs> like a 14 pound shirt. So nope. Sorry. Sorry, Xander. Um, but yeah, the, uh, they laid them out in Liverpool's dressing room too. Did you guys, I mean, I, I don't know if you realize this, but you know, they all wore the Leeds players all wore them out there. And Bielsa is like the ultimate. I mean, he's a oh. Newell's old boy. Like I mean, the guy I love, Biel you know, I love Bielsa. But anyway, this is so perfect. And they Liverpool refused to wear it. Klopp seemed really mad. I, I don't understand why Klopp trashed Gary Neville. <laughs> that was very strange. A guy that's been actually amazing during the pandemic. I mean, he's let like people stay in his hotel and stuff. It's very strange, really, uh, his reaction. Uh, the one thing he did get right, though, it's not fair for him to be a, a, a mouthpiece for it. But you could tell he didn't know what to say. But in the past, he's trashed it. Pep, the same thing. You know, he's trashed it in the past. Carlo Ancelotti has trashed it as well. Pep kind of danced around a little bit, but they both said they weren't in favor of it. I would have loved to hear like what his inner monologue was really saying. Um, but that wasn't as amazing, I thought, as the scenes, uh, the Chelsea scenes, which I, I don't know if you guys were watching. That was pretty, I mean, blocking the entrance to Stanford Bridge, preventing the coaches from, from entering. Peter check out on the street talking to the, I mean, that was compelling stuff. Don't you think? I mean, that was incredible. It was, it was even cool. There was a clip at the end in which like they all were cheering and in, in the street because yeah, at that point in time, I think right before the match kicked off, they got the news that they were officially out as well. It was amazing. It was amazing. The whole response from everyone that wasn't involved in one of these clubs and like to go back to Liverpool and Klopp, uh, I think he said just about everything he could. And I, I, it would have been great to see the players wearing those shirts, but like if you're an employee of Walmart and someone gives you a t-shirt that says F Walmart, like you're not going to be able to put that t-shirt on and go to work. So James, that's not, no, no, no. That's a difference in willpower. Okay. I, I, that's not a good, I, come on though. These guys are not Walmart employees though. No, they're, I they're, know, but they're employees. They represent the club. Yes, I mean, yes. they, 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 they're players for the club. I know employee seems like it, it's more than that. I get it when it comes to football, but at the end of the day, like clubs, basically the first, employee of Liverpool that has to speak publicly and he's put right on the spot getting asked really hard-hitting questions and he can't say like I hate this he says I don't like it I, we have to win this game like we have to focus on our playing he basically tries all his best to talk around it but it's impossible and again if I was an employee of one of these companies and I was put on the spot and asked to defend a decision that I completely disagreed with with every fiber of my being as I believe that didn't even know about it. really I mean weren't prepared to answer truly exactly yeah. And then the Chelsea, again, the, the protests, it, it was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah. Peaceful, everything. And then the news drops. Chelsea's out. Man City's out. And then Ed Woodward resigns. I mean, that to me is shocking. That I was... mean, it wasn't due to the failed Super League. It may have accelerated the decision, but it was already supposed to happen. Like, do we buy that one? I hate Woodward. I know every Manchester United fan hates him. Uh, look, there were heads were going to have to roll. When you put 
something forward this aggressively and you say, we're doing this, it's a done deal. And then less than 48 hours later, you're forced to backtrack because the everyone hates it so much. You're going to have to, 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 some heads are going to have to roll. And Woodward was one who was, I think, very unpopular with the fan base. He's always been the Glazers kind of right, right hand man for a long time, 18 years at the club, I think. Um, not sad to see him go, but it was crazy just how swiftly everything just sort of collapsed. And the first domino fell and it was like, but I mean, he's been pushing this agenda. We talked about project big picture before he's been part of the ECA and in different, I think he was head of one of the committees. Like, why are we, this is his baby. I mean, clearly he's being given guidance from up top. Can this be viewed as anything other than scapegoat? Now I was about to say that's, that's exactly what it is. Right. I mean, mean, right. Don't get me wrong. You know, he could say he he's resigning. But like, to be fair, with the amount of like scrutiny that he comes under um, in the media and on social media, as we all know, we know who he is. We know how badly he's hated. Yeah. And we're not United supporters. We don't follow United outside of probably watching a handful of games a year. Right. Um, So that paired with, you know, a ginormous failure is is enough to make anyone, I think, collapse, to be honest. But you know, even even past that, yeah, a hundred percent probably was a scapegoat. That's that that's them of saying we got rid like the bad man's gone, like red devils, woo. Which is ridiculous. And too, even because though yeah. Glazier was nominated as one of the vice chairs on this thing, too. So right. I, I I can you really say that oh well this is always Ed's idea and we weren't really you know? And the fans certainly obviously the fans played a huge role. I think the media played a huge role. What I don't, there's a lot of stuff I don't think they really anticipated, one of which being like the government, the British government coming out and saying like, we're no way we're going to let this happen. Which again, if they, they may have thought they had a legal way to get it, but as soon as this news dropped, it was clear, like lawsuits are going to be flying left and right. And if you're a politician and all of a sudden everyone in the country is mad at these few dudes, it's like the biggest layup in the world for you to then say, I'm against it too, whether or not you believe it or not. And so uh, I think it was it was just clear the mounting resentment and resistance to it just became too much. And they just had to kind of put their tail between their legs and uh, say, we're done. We're, we're suspending it. Yeah. So, and, and there were some other compelling things that happened. You know, Jordan Henderson's cry to get all the PL captains together. I don't know if that happened. I mean, it didn't seem like it was necessary. It was at that dead point. before they could even get together. I was like, I, oh, this I, is going to be the nail in the coffin. And then well, it was dead like three hours later. Yeah. I, I Honestly, they didn't consult the players at all. So I, they're kind of a part of this. I mean, who would watch this, pro, you know, if it wasn't for just the sheer talent, because you're not going to, you're not going to watch this you know, because you feel like you want to support these supervillains that are saving uh, the world soccer community pyramid thing. Due to uh, COVID. Due to, <laughs> just thank you, Alex. That's a real reason it's a why we're doing it. effort, really. Oh, very much so. I mean, saving the world one, one Super League match at a time, one streaming service at a time. Uh, James Corden, by the way, gave an amazing kind of um, plea. You know, he's a, a little bit of a silly figure, and I only really he's know him. He's a goofball. Yeah, he is. Uh, and, you know, he's not really someone I find very compelling, but this was great. And and he did it in a very humil, humil, you know, like filled with humility and very he was very upset about it. And it was really genuine and really amazing. Either that or he's a much better actor than I give credit for. But I will say this. If anyone came across very well in this whole thing, I think we can all be very proud. Uh, not that we should be surprised about that to be supporters of Everton Football Club. So 
let's talk a little bit about Everton's statement, uh, some of the key elements of it. And uh, I, I thought Farhad Mashiri's follow-up on Talk Sport was almost more important. But, I mean, you guys have seen the statement. Um, I'm kind of curious what some of your aspects of it, that, that like what really caught you that you were kind of, I mean, you couldn't help but almost cheer through this thing. You know what I mean? It was incredible when when I woke up to the statement having already dropped. And if I'm not mistaken, Everton were like the first club besides to really make like an official statement. I might be wrong. I think like, Connor Fulham said something about it, but it was I don't think they released a formal statement. I think he was just kind of a mouthpiece saying this is not also American. You yeah. know, not born in America, but an American owns the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, operates from America, which I know all Americans are all greedy business owners. Yes, Alex, we'll get to that in a second because <laughs> I know that's very upsetting for all of us. But um, yeah, this is pretty much it. I, I thought that they would wait and kind of release something in solidarity, but uh, th- this was powerful. And yeah, it was pretty much the first one. Yeah, it was amazing to see. It was uh, exactly and exactly what we would have all expected from Everton Football Club, right? I mean, they they... And I, I tweeted about it. Like you look at the process that Everton went through in terms of building the stadium, the consultation with fans, all Great of point. the, all of the things that Everton do to engage the community, repurposing Goodison Park for community use, taking into consideration the business implications for the city of Liverpool when building the stadium, all of these sorts of things are. It's it's just so in line with Everton's character as a club and all of the people from top to bottom. And yeah, you know, people locally and, and around the world might be a little upset that we haven't quite got the success that we all want for the club yet. But you can't say anything other than Everton are a class act, class club, um, and, and really lead by example in a lot of regards through and through. And this statement was uh, perfectly in line with that. Yeah, I particularly liked how uh, how pointed it was in regards to how they addressed the clubs. Um, if I, if I gave you my super six, right, exactly. If I gave you my, um, my English class answer, I'd say that it's the the sentence structure is very poetic. I appreciated how they led into it. Right. The six clubs acting, the six clubs. It's so good, but not only taking for granted. Right. Um, I thought I genuinely really appreciated the write-up. It was a lot more than I hoped for in terms of a statement um, from any club, let alone Everton. But, uh, you know, Denise gen- gen- generally has uh, has uh, the right thing to say in, in moments like this. So I think what's important, too, is people forget, James, you made a great point about the consultation. I mean, Farhad basically is dropping 50 million pounds of his own money just to make sure that all those heritage assets and other things that are sitting at the dock are preserved. I mean, he doesn't have to do that. I mean, do we, do we think Henry would do that? <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm just, Jeez. It, well, I mean, if history and, and these clubs, some of these clubs fired people, by the way, you know, who really got, who should be the most upset out of anyone out of this whole thing. One thing. Gunner source, man. Gunnersaurus, man. Yeah, exactly. Come on, man. You fired that guy. I mean, if I'm him, I am so mad. Like, I'm like Godzilla on Tokyo mad. It, like, and that's like why it came across as such a like facade, all the all the whining about the, the impact of the pandemic. And people have said this like ad nauseum, but clubs, you know, they, they killed Gunnersaurus while they're talking about a 350 billion pound cash injection on Zoom calls. It's like it joke. just it really was like and it's people have said this also very eloquently it was like every fan of these clubs has has tried to like convince themselves for a long time that these owners understand the club and they they want us to be successful and they're not just here to 
cash in. Yeah, they're misunderstood, you know, blah, 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 blah. And you, and you heard it, too, when everyone's like, oh, Everton, if you were invited, you would have joined. No, we would not. Farhad said it clear as day. Every action supports that. But you're right, James, because they joined. And every action prior to this should not, you shouldn't be surprised about that. I mean, people keep saying about, like, Liverpool and, and maybe... Manchester United is a little different. I think their supporter groups have acted in in pretty nasty response since the Glazers took over. So I, I I view them slightly differently. But I mean, you look at the history. You look at it's just repeating itself over and over and over again, or just rhyming in this case. Um, so we shouldn't be surprised about that. Just like people should not be surprised about Farhad's response. Every facet of it is against the very idea of British football. He said, "Yes." Football belongs to the fans and to their communities. This just takes much of their romance of football away. But what's most important about that is those statements in all the apologies. And we'll get to that too in segment two. Did anyone echo that sort of feeling? Like you got this feeling from their other apologies that they still don't get it. Say what you want about Farhad. Is he posturing? Is this self-interest because of, he doesn't want the stadium to go dry or something like that? I don't know. But he's saying stuff at a level of sophistication and understanding of the game and echoing like the passion of the fan base that none of these other owners came close to doing or capturing. And and he should be of anyone, you know, if you look at kind of his rise, you would think you would just throw him in the same bucket of all these people. He's different, clearly. And I don't know if it's Everton or what it is, but like. It's just to me, that is a very different message, very different things that he said. He's not perfect. But every action he says is very Everton and every action of those other guys is not. So why do people keep defending them? And that argument that, oh, you guys would have signed up for it. That irritates me so much because to me, you're that's your rationalization of your owners continuing to act this way. You are part of the problem then. What are you talking about, man? Accept them for what they are and be ticked about it. I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head, right? I mean, I think this was it's really uh, jarring to know that the, the club that you believed was uh, altruistic and had the fans best interests at heart, like clearly showed that wasn't the case by the complete lack of consultation. So, um, and, and again, Farhad did the, did the club proud. Yeah. I mean, and him specifically saying we would never join. That was also a key piece of the statement too, right? Because there was a lot of talk on top of the message, oh, your club would have done it if they could. There was also a lot of talk about either A, some of the clubs that 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 uh, did not accept the invitation or B, some of the clubs that you would think might fill in the other spots. Oh, they'll see how it pans out. Let them take the brunt of the media, you know, storm. And then we will hop in when the invitation suits or, or presents itself. Um, so, so that, that was a key piece of the statement, which was also good. All right. Well, I, I think we've kind of brought us up to speed of kind of where we're at now. So, uh, I think this would be probably a good time to take a little bit of break and, um, James, you want to send us out here and we'll kind of follow back up with, uh, some reactions and a little more of an in-depth dis discussion of things. Maybe a lot of the American sports perspective, I think might be a good idea. Alex. Great to have you back, man, back in the fold. Um, some good insight. And uh, yeah, hope you hope it was a good, to, good to be back as it would hope it was as good to be back as it was to have you back. It was. I really appreciate it. Um, it was good catching up with both of you and, and good to be back on air. So we will see what the reaction is like on social oh, media. There's going to be it's yeah, going to be like the Chelsea me? protest, but people <laughs> cheering instead. Like 
in the streets. It's gonna be that great. would be the first time in my life, and I would <laughs> gladly Take appreciate it. it. I need that Take right it. now. So cheer Take for it. me if you need to. Ladies and gentlemen, the American Toffee Podcast is back. We are here on Toffee TV USA. We are talking Super League, of course, the biggest news to break in soccer and potentially years in football. And we just did a quick segment earlier with Alex, of course, talking about the getting us all caught up to speed, Ryan. And as of yesterday evening, all the clubs are basically out. There's been a domino effect. There's been a collapse of the proposed plan. So just uh, give us the, the latest and greatest news. Well, we know all the English clubs are out. Uh, hooray. I think that's a good thing, considering absolutely no one was in favor of it. Turns out the clubs were in either. We'll look at some of the American club owner statements in a second. Um, inners out. AC Milan is set to leave, but I don't think we've seen anything official from them yet. Um, really, we've got Barcelona, who always said or claimed to have said is their way out that they were going to defer it to the General Assembly, which frankly is the right thing to do. Um, you've got Juventus and uh, Mr. Agnelli. Andrea Agnelli is still out there holding on strong. And Fiorentino Perez, Florentino Perez at Real Madrid is still out there as well. So it's really two teams. I think they're going to play each other uh, 2,700 times over the next couple of years. <laughs> now, in all seriousness, that's league. it. Yeah, right. Exactly. And I mean, we'll, we'll go through the statements real quickly, too. But ultimately, it looks like it's more on pause which i think calls for some concern so so let's let's look at the two i mean those are the major culprits really um let's look at Ag Ag uh andrea agnelli's juventus driven statement um let me let me quote it here while juventus remains convinced of the soundness of the project's sport commercial and legal premises it believes that at present there are limited chances that the project be completed in the form originally conceived not entirely surprised definitely doesn't seem like a stop um and then we kind of go to the overall super league official statement and florentino perez gave a lovely interview again today and it's we are reconsidering the appropriate steps in order to reshape the project we're proposing a new competition because current one isn't working English clubs have been forced to leave due to outside pressure again doesn't sound like it's dead does it no, it sounds like they uh, kind of hopped in the ring for the first round and got knocked out, but the ref didn't call the match quite yet, and they're not willing to concede the fight. Uh, so it's a really interesting sort of uh, sequence of events because obviously the, the English clubs were forced to capitulate, forced to put their tail between their legs and, and beg, hopefully beg for forgiveness. We'll see how uh, they don't really seem too sorry, if we're being honest. It seems like they're more angry that this didn't go perfectly as they had planned and frankly frustrated that they can't just come in and uh, snatch everyone's money and, and destroy the game as we know it without any repercussions seems to be the way that I'm reading all of these apologies and official statements that have come out. Yeah, some of them seem a little bit hollow. So uh, let's take things from a U.S. perspective, because there's been a lot of scuttlebutt about the greedy Americans and the everyone Yanks. behind this. Yes, the Yanks. Um, hopefully that's not characterizing everyone in America. I think you'll find it very quickly here in America. That is not typical of uh, every American out there. Um, but I think some of the statements, I still got some questions about them. So first of all, Arsenal's ownership, the Cronkies. Um, 
you know, the headline of the Twitter feed was as a result of listening to you in the wider football community over recent days, we're withdrawing from the proposed Super League. We made a mistake and we apologize for it. I mean, you know, the detailed letter, eh, you know, maybe isn't that wonderful, but hey, that's actually an apology. I think there's no argument about that. I mean, they said we apologize. And so by a def by definition, it's an apology. It's not a particularly, uh, you know, you don't get the real feel that they mean it all that much. And that's kind of, and maybe that's the, the byproduct of, you know, official corporations releasing these sorts of statements. They always come across as very hollow. But if you were a PR person crafting something like this, you got to do a little bit better. You got to seem a little more sorry. You actually have to seem genuine. Yeah, and I, I think going to going to John Henry's to recorded message to oh. Liverpool fans. Um, th this makes a lot to go. I, I just want to say the, the flannel that he's wearing in that video, I have the exact same one. And I was like sick to my stomach watching it this morning. So I almost burned you. it. So maybe you should, uh, but I'm sure his might be a little more pricey than yours. Uh, you probably at least were smart enough to get yours on sale, but that's another story. Uh, <laughs> but his apology, um, and it was kind of an apology my issue with it is, I mean, they took some responsibility for it, but I never got this feel. What I would have done if I'm a PR guy and I'm representing him and I'm in touch with the English game and your true consumers, unfortunately, that's probably how they think about it. Um, I would make sure that they understood that, hey, we wouldn't do anything like this going forward without consulting the fans, the players, the coaches. Well, he never really said that, actually. I found that very, very curious. He just said that was not the right thing to do. Uh, a lot of people weren't real happy with this recorded message. I, I still got this vibe from him, and I did from the Manchester United. Joel Glazer wrote an open letter. And initially, Manchester United issued, I mean, no apology whatsoever. Their was statement just, was wild. Right. That and, was wild. And, I, and they should have said, you know, we'll follow up with something. But it was just basically like, yeah, we're not, we're not doing it. We listen to the fans. That's it wasn't like an apology at all. Um, I, I think even looking at Joe Glazer's letter and kind of decomposing it, I mean, do you get the feeling that they still don't quite get English soccer? It just feels like they are a bit out of their element in a lot of ways. And I think you could probably say that about, you know, Cronky and the Glazers in general, since they've taken over ownership of both these clubs. Ownership groups in, in America for professional teams do get a fair bit of scrutiny but i don't think it's to the same degree i don't think there's that same like i don't think there's this broad of a intense local fan base for uh a lot of these multi, like giant basically the the point i'm making is that a lot of these uh teams have been giant corporations in america for a really long time and it hasn't been that way until very recently with most of these english clubs and so I think they kind of just thought that we could take our playbook from America and just slap it down into uh, European football. And there's going to be no problems. We're going to make all the money we want. We're going to lock in our profits for our investment and it's all going to be well and good. And it did not go that way. No. And they should know better. Of course, um, of course. maybe they underestimated some of the reactions, but I, I got that feeling too. I felt like they were talking about sport in general, almost as though, Henry was talking to the Red Sox fans and, and it's different. Like there is a different Red Sox him, fans. Well, yeah, maybe, but they're probably closer maybe to, you know, a, a sense of community around things. You know, I grew up in Pittsburgh, so, I mean, I'm kind of familiar with the Roonies and the way they are and like they would, I mean, this would never ever happen, 
but it's American sports ownership's a little different. They're in different positions. We'll get into some of those details in a second. But I, the one thing, too, that drives me crazy is they continue to use the pandemic as an excuse. I mean, if you're talking to a PR person, how tone deaf do you have to be to continue to echo? That's why. Because no one is going to cry or be upset that you're not making money. That's one thing in America that would never happen. It's ridiculous because you don't own a sports team in America to make money off it. That, that, that is unheard of. We expect you as an owner on a sports club, knowing the landscape for American sports and the lack of risk therein. I mean, truly that you're going to spend even more. You, you shouldn't make money on this because it's your hobby. That That's literally the expectation in America. I don't think that's quite the same way in soccer, but either way, when you kind of look at these things, you, you kind of say, okay, Juventus and Madrid. Okay. They're still, they're still going to push this thing as long as they could. Chelsea and Man City were the first to drop. So you kind of got a vibe that, I mean, frankly, Man City, I, I don't understand why they would ever entertain this. Um, they don't need the money. And if anything, it kind of gives people more money to kind of combat them with. But when you read the American owners, I mean, do you get the feeling that they would still entertain some form of it? I mean, do you feel like, oh, they've learned their lesson. They're really going to go about doing this differently next time. Or are they going to still do it? It, it? it almost felt like we're sorry we got caught. Yeah, it felt very much like that. Now, there's a lot in what you just said. I don't know if I explicitly agree with the fact that owners in America don't necessarily want to make money. I mean, I think these like, but but maybe that was in, a look that was a little extreme. But in what they care more about is they want to take. They believe in a lot of profit sharing in the league and protecting those revenues and distributing it. They believe in the league as a product more so than like any one individual club. Really good point. And uh, so you know the NFL all the Jersey distribution centralized through the NFL, the teams all split the profits and all that sort of stuff. Um, that just doesn't exist. And so when you have this sort of cash grab trying to replicate a similar structure in European football, it just doesn't fly because you have all of these competing interests, all these clubs. And I think they really underestimated their own power within this structure. And, and frankly, just in regard to Chelsea and Man City real quick, I don't know. It doesn't surprise me that they were kind of the catalyst for dropping out first, because to me, United and Arsenal, it makes sense that they would want to try to preserve this status that they did not earn. Arsene Wenger and Sir Alex Ferguson and all of the people that came before it established that precedent yeah. and built these clubs to what they are. And the Americans just come in and said, hey, we're just going to try to capitalize on that, preserve it, and hopefully it'll be a good investment. City and Chelsea are obviously they've built what they have now. Roman Abramovich. And Sheikh Mansour have built these clubs up to what they are, and yeah. they're competing for the title. <clears throat> Arsenal and United, I guess, are to some extent this season, but they haven't been near it in a really long time, and they're not really at that same elite level that they have been. So this is a last-ditch effort to preserve that status, and uh, it failed for now. Yeah, I, I think it's very interesting to kind of peel back and understand why it died and what will stop it going forward. But before we segue into that, your point about American sports is, is important because it's more competing league to league. You're competing for entertainment dollars. Uh, the clubs within the leagues, with the ex possible exception of baseball, are on equal footing. So that's the attraction of it. The competition is accepted. So the small, there's no big club and small club. That That is a very strange concept for, I think, an American to get their hands under. They understand big cities. They understand big revenues. They understand big market, small market. That's what we use as Americans. Not big club, small club, because let's be honest, my beloved Pittsburgh Steelers are a massive club. A Pittsburgh's not a big market, but it doesn't matter in the NFL. It truly doesn't. And that's why those things, those guys kind of band together more to sell the league 
as a collective, you know, that's the important thing. Yeah. And, and that's why, and again, we have the whole college system too. So this whole idea of open, you know, MLS is a little bit unique too. I think that's a potential be a, a pro rel type situation and open competition because it's also governed under FIFA. I think the future of MLS is going to look very different in 25 years. People forget MLS was broke. I mean, there was literally one owner not very long ago. So there's a whole strange history in that. But the other sports in America, the college system is what fuels them. I mean, there aren't going to be local teams that would eventually compete and go up and down. You'd right. have to dismantle the entire college system, which is incredibly popular. And people probably are more emotionally drawn into their college teams and universities. I mean, people don't realize outside of the rest of the world, college football games, there's seven or eight teams that get consistently a hundred thousand people, a hundred thousand people a game. Think about that. And we've got like 10 stadiums that seat almost a hundred thousand. I mean, England doesn't have a single soccer stadium besides Wembley that's even close to that. So it, that's a little bit of a different situation. But but I digress. Um, the real question is, why do we think it really it really died? One thing that I thought of is government intervention. Do we think that was a legitimate threat? Do we think that really scared them or surprised yes, I, them? I think it did, and it doesn't it doesn't surprise me that the government was against it just because of the, you know. If you're constituent, you want to be popular with your constituents. Yes, They're right. all rioting and not rioting, protesting in the street. Excuse me. Peaceful and protests. Peaceful protests. Assembly. Hundred percent. It's a it's a layup for you to come out against it. And frankly, like again, it, money kind of is at the root of all of this. I don't think any of these giant uh, institutions were altruistically stepping in for the good of the fans. It was it's money, right? If the Premier League is if these clubs for whatever reason left and then were not allowed in the Premier League depreciates the value of that league tremendously, at least initially, we could have that argument if it uh, what the long term impact might be. But I just think that they the government intervention was a big part. But they also had basically no other people in their court. They didn't have their own managers, their own players, their own fans. Any key stakeholder that you would need to get this through work vehemently opposed to it. And so I think it just became I I I I and one hand, I can't see how they wouldn't have foreseen I know reaction. On the other hand, I think they somehow did and just thought it'll just blow over and people will just let this go. And they could not have been more wrong if that's their line of thought. Well, I, I question it from a business standpoint, frankly. You know, we both have business backgrounds. So, I mean, I, I'm trying to get in their heads a little bit. Yeah. So let's assume that they really thought that there would be a great audience for this product. I'm not so sure there would be, uh, to be perfectly honest. So, number one, they were banking on being able to play continually in their domestic leagues, which it seemed like that was definitely questionable. The government could certainly tax them from outside income and some other aspects. So even if they let them play, they could have hurt their economic advantage that they would have had coming back into the league for sure. Um, but I think as a business investment, like one thing I really am struggling with is why do they think the super league? And first of all, I don't know how they were getting three more teams out of the 12. I mean, PSG said, no, you know, all the German, there's no way anyone under a 50 plus one ownership situation is going to say yes to this Porto told him to go pound sand. So to me, is this really a good investment? Like what about the super league would make it more compelling and Perez thinks it is. And Agnelli thinks it is more compelling truly than the champions league, which is much more open. And if that's the case, let's just say it's the case, say it's not any more compelling. Where are they going to get the money for this? So number one network TV, good luck with that. 
they basically alienated every domestic league holder by setting up the structure. So number one, PSG was never going to join because their chairman is the president of being sports or their president's the chairman of being sports. They already had the champions league, right? So why would they think that would happen? Sky BT, all the pundits trashed it. Partially they're self-serving for their channels because they're hurting the existing contracts in America. NBC Sports, they're not going to deal with it. Are you kidding? You just killed their Premier League deal. ESPN Disney, no chance. When Amazon came out and said, we're not having any part of this, they had to be thinking twice. Dazen would have been the big company to do it. So think about this. Is there any attraction weekday games as a direct streaming service? Do people know how big viewership really is in America? Because maybe that's part of the issue. I mean, a big Premier League game on the weekend on like NBC Sports Network, you know, not streaming is maybe getting 750,000 people direct on TV. They may get some more streaming. Streaming midweek, Paramount Plus has the rights to the Champions League midweek streaming. They're getting nothing. The only ratings that are really happening are the Spanish language stuff, but that's available on over-the-air broadcasts on Tundon and things like that. And they're not even getting massive ratings, but, you know, it's a couple hundred thousand people. So the I just kind of wonder if maybe they sat back and said, okay, JP Morgan's putting up the money for this. They're going to find private equity. We still got to pay that back. We got to promise some returns on this. If Amazon's out, Dazzin doesn't have the expansiveness. Right. I can't speak for China and, and <clears throat> Asia and Africa or Middle East markets, but the market for America, I just, it's a growing sport here, but I don't, maybe it's not that good a business investment. Is that possible? It's, it's confusing to me because I, I the way that I've understood what these clubs really want this whole time in terms of revenue would be the ability to market directly to their own fan base. Whoa, whoa, so whoa, like whoa, you... whoa. That's not what they want. Florentino Perez said he's saving the soccer oh, right. universe. Here. Sorry. Yes, he's Florentino. been working on this for three years because of the pandemic, which started two years ago. I, I mean, I just think, you know, I've always thought that these clubs would want to, you know, if you want to watch Manchester United, you go to Manchester United's website, you pay X amount of dollars or pounds or yawn or whatever it may be, and you can watch Manchester United. And if they have a global fan base of 150 million, you rake in $150 million a match. And that's a great, great return. Now, if you're going to try to package this and, and sell it, you're going to need the fans. You're going to need the demand for it. And I just, yeah, I agree, Ryan. I think what attracts, uh, international fans to the premier league and to european football in general um if that's the audience that they're indeed marketing for is the tradition is the exceptional nature and the rare nature of these fixtures in the champions league or um it it, it just goes against all of the compelling things that are what make it a unique product to make it exactly like american sports yeah. you want to watch this structure like watch, you know, there's there's all sorts of sports you can watch. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's unique. In America, it's unique. The passion, the rivalry is the great part of oh, it. Yeah. Americans love that stuff, man. People don't get it. You know, that's why do people still watch Army Navy, for heaven's sakes. You know what I mean? It's not for the quality of the game. It's the pageantry. It's the rivalry. Imagine if fans took this very seriously and didn't show up. No one wants to see an empty stadium, you know, after the pandemic. That's not exciting. It's not a compelling view. Uh, and, and frankly, watching these teams play each other all the time, it, it's not that compelling to begin with. I also say this, too. I can understand someone saying, I want to see the best players because the product itself in isolation is really entertaining and exciting as a sport. I don't think Americans quite have that love for the sport. Some people do, of course, some people not not maybe in massive numbers. You know, the threat of UEFA stepping in, and I think supported by FIFA to a certain extent of saying, that's fine. 
we're going to ban anyone from this unsanctioned league to play in the World Cup. That matters because now suddenly if you've got some elite players out there that don't want to play in this league and they never consulted the players to begin with too, which is the most right. ridiculous thing about this, the players and the you think the fans want to travel overseas for every other match matches in the middle East and America. I mean, you're starting to get a little ridiculous here. Um, but the players, I, I just, that doesn't seem as attractive. I think a couple champions league nights are lovely, but you heard all the players complaining like on Spurs traveling all the way, you know, pretty far distances for weekday games and stuff. I mean, that's, that's hard on players. They don't want to do that, nor are they used to doing it. If they're from continental Europe or they're, right. they're from the UK, that's a strange thing for them. And I mean, we're, we're used to that in America. The tra- Well, most of us are big used country. to kind of traveling. It's a big country. Uh, dream stay with you. That was for Scotland, but it doesn't matter. Anyway, uh, the point I'm trying to make is that we're kind of used to that, but a lot of foreign players come over here and it's a shock to them and they struggle with it. So, I mean, these are reasons why players would be a little skeptical and may not want to do this, frankly. And I think, I think the players too, like every professional player was a fan growing up in some capacity. And so they, even though they're all multimillionaires now or the vast majority of them, I do think there is a genuine appreciation for the fans from at least the players and the manager. Like they recognize the impact that fans have. They truly mean it when they say we've missed the fans desperately in stadiums. I don't think the owners care about having fans in the stadiums. And I tweeted this. I said, you know, if the, if the owners could shut of these clubs could shut the doors to their stadium and never let another fan inside. And it meant X amount more dollars in their pocket. I think they do it in a heartbeat. I don't think the players or managers or anyone even remotely close to the actual on the ground uh, aspects of these organizations would support that. And so, again, they had no buy-in from even within their own organizations, much less all the external stakeholders. And anyone knows who's done businesses, when you got a lot of stakeholders involved, uh, you might want to check to make sure that they're uh, okay with you doing whatever you're doing before you just decide to do it. And it just, it for guys who are supposedly brilliant businessmen, this is just flat out embarrassing, honestly. I just think they don't understand it. They don't get it. You know, I think we've been to Goodison. You know, we've experienced it to some extent. We didn't grow up with it necessarily, but we felt it. I wish. You know what I mean? Oh, God. Can you imagine if that place is down the road for you? I mean, I was blessed going to see all the sports I did growing up. And, and you know, these were, I got to experience some really compelling teams, but that place is magic and it's different, you know, and when you the get best. into it, it's so special and so unique that none of these guys could ever possibly understand that. You would think Henry might understand that walking in a Fenway, but they clearly don't get it. Farhad Mashiri, to his credit, and we talked about this on the podcast, talked about the romance of football and, and what matters. Talked about people want to see Liverpool Everton. They want to see the Derby. They want to see that passion. That translates through the TV to a certain extent, too, and that is compelling. And I think they just maybe don't, don't get it. Well, either way... Um, that leads us to another point because Farhad mentioned some things about that they should be punished with points deductions. Now, it's a little complicated to do that, but it is hard to argue that they didn't violate some of the rules. So if we look at the Premier League handbook, I mean, it says very clearly, you know, except with the prior written approval of the board during the season, a club shall not enter or play its senior men's first team in any competition other than and it lists them. Um, anything really sanctioned, you know what I mean? Now they didn't play in it necessarily. Uh, in the bottom of it says qualification for UEFA club competition shall be on sporting merit. Now, obviously this <laughs> thing, this, well, this, thing, apparently the super league doesn't care about that. It's an open pyramid, man. It is the five slots oh, that are going to, I, I know, I know it's sad, joke. but, but 
anyway, the point is they didn't play in anything. So I guess by the letter of the law, maybe the Premier League won't punish them. Um, the one argument I've heard, though, and keep in mind, UEFA could certainly punish them. And I think that's the more likely scenario, even though Seraphin seemed very happy that they were coming back. I mean, their vice president actually was pretty harsh about it, you know, telling him they were going to punish them. But the one argument that I'm really tired of hearing, Graham Soon has contributed to this. And frankly, there's not much I agree with that guy about. Um, I hate him. Well, you know, I, I haven't met the guy. I don't know if he's just posturing for TV. You kind of get this feeling that he's not. Um, I hate him. Okay. I hope we never meet him. Um, <clears throat> no comment. I just square up. Graham. Uh, yeah, well, he doesn't have my reach, so I think he'd be in some trouble. But <laughs> but anyway, the point is, um, the line I've heard is, you know, who are you punishing? If you punish the club, you punish the fans. I, that one drives me crazy because in that way, you could never, ever punish a club for anything because anything you do to the club punishes the fans. I think we have some great counters to that that I read today in social media, media that I really love, like um, Mr. KJ Banks. Everton should flagrantly flout financial fair play laws this summer and spend massively. If they can't punish the club, if they punish the club, they're punishing the fans. Fines don't do it either. I hate that idea. Well, we'll just fine them. They hit them where the owners, you know, feel it the most. Why? So they can pass on the costs to the fans. That's what the, if these guys care only about money, do you think they're going to care about charging you a $2 extra fee on tickets? I mean, I've, I've been to Anfield. I know what it costs to go to a game there. It's absolutely ludicrous. I don't. John know Henry will just sell some bricks and uh, make up the difference. Yeah, yeah, right. No, they love to do that stuff. Yeah, or he'll knock down some more, you know, houses and build an extra stand. I mean, it's right. it's absolutely ludicrous. But yeah, so there have been a lot of examples too in history that that have all hurt the fans. Every one of these punishments, and that stinks. But part of that is necessary. The fans need to also put pressure on their owners. In some cases, they've done this. So it's Paul actually. At it's Paul actually. I like this line. Middlesbrough refused to play a game in 97, dock three points. Any team enters admin, dock 12 points. Wigan, a great example of that. They would have made it. They would have been free. You docked them for going into administration. Who does that hurt? Was it the fans who sent them into administration? No. That's it. So what are we talking about here? Um, you know, the big six tried to destroy the English game and break PL rules in the process, hurting Every club out there, potentially. No, don't punish the players and the fans. Premier League plastics are diluted, is the quote. And, and this leads me to one of my favorite quotes of all time by famed American coach Jerry Tarkanian of UNLV's Running Rebels, national champions. Here's his comment, because the NCAA is functioning very much in the way I have a feeling the Premier League will. The NCAA is so mad at Kentucky, they're going to give Cleveland State another year of probation. <laughs> It's one of the best lines of all time, but you get this feeling like, yeah, fine. You'll hurt all these other clubs. So is this not a gratuitous? It, it seems like a violation of the rules to me. I know there's some voting aspects. Do they handle these things individually? Should they face, face points reductions? What are your thoughts? There's a lot to unpack, right? I mean, it's, a, it's yeah. a big issue. And look, despite the fact that these clubs are probably rightfully embarrassed and have to kind of come back with are they should be they should I mean, be you read those things right. they sound embarrassed i mean Shameless. yeah i mean just like just like project big picture when denise yeah. asked woodward and and liverpool's yeah, president tom right. warner to, to, to apologize what did they say no, nothing i don't think that you're right i don't think they're sorry i don't think that they they feel bad i think but but i do think that this was again a part of a very small concentrated group at the top of each organization that said if you're an owner of a club, you represent the club. 
and you do bad things that hurt other clubs, like you, there needs to be punishment for it because we talked about it. If there's no precedent set here, then they'll do it again. They'll It'll do it just again. be another couple of years. It was first was project big picture. Now it's super league two years from now, it'll be mega league and it will be gargantuan league. And like, they'll just keep trying it. So there has to be some sort of punishment because if you don't punish it, there's incentive. It's like, well, we didn't, but at the same time, these clubs still do have a tremendous amount of leverage. Um, I think in terms of what they can bring the league. So what are what is their kind of I think the, the problem is I think they've kind of put all their cards on the table and uh they've got nothing in there. And so now it's like I don't know, it's gonna be very interesting to see how this dynamic plays out. I feel like this is an opportunity where the fans are almost gonna be sympathetic to the rest of the Premier League owners punishing their own teams. I don't I mean, think it's so, of, Ryan. No, don't you don't think so? Because so. I've seen it already today. Oh, John Henry, he apologized. He's sorry, we should just let it go. He well, made a mistake. Okay, but give me a break. That's a lot of the Liverpool fans rationalizing. I haven't heard as much from some of the other fans. Yeah. But yes, uh, you may be right. You may be right. I will say this though, it's at least an opportunity at a minimum to enact some rule changes that would prevent leaving. Now, I don't know if Boris Johnson's going to jump in and demand a 50 plus one type ownership paradigm. I don't even know how you would unwind that yeah. at this point. I, I don't think that sounds likely. Um, it has been nice to see some of the owners come out and say we would never do this, including Americans as well, too. Fulham's owner came out very early and said, this is ridiculous. We would never do this, you know, and Jaguar's owner, um, American, you know, not by birth, but, you know, lives there, does business there. Um, I, I could see some rule changes. I don't know exactly what they'd be, but certainly some aspects to changing of the governance um, for this and maybe maybe governance of punishment, because I think you need more more people now than maybe you would have. I do think, I mean, really, the big impact and easier thing would be is European bans straight from a from a competition yeah. standpoint from from UEFA, and I think they'd be supported by FIFA. That would be interesting. Frankly, you have some teams that probably won't make it anyway. Boo-hoo. Uh, assuming that we don't have the Super League to the save billionaire that. lost money. Oh, no. Uh, I, I, I know. Obviously, I'm not going to be too upset about that either. Who could ever have sympathy for that? Um, but I don't know what else would be. But I will say this. If there's one thing worth noting, um, and I knew this a long time ago, but it was nice to see evidence of it again. I feel pretty darn good about our club today. Amen to that. And 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 frankly, I, I expected nothing less. Um, but it was still amazing to see them live up to even the loftiest expectations that we might have had. Um, truly a top class organization, a top class club. And again, as one of the clubs who have in recent years been on the fringe of this big six, you know, there were all these tables coming out about who, if you removed them, how many titles would you buy? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a pretty good picture, but you know, I do think that there is a, a certain uh, responsibility felt by the, the Everton board to be a leader in this regard and, and speak out and speak strongly out against this sort of behavior. And I think they'll advocate for harsh penalties, whatever that might look like. I've also been for a long time from an economic standpoint, been a true believer that being ethical and and behaving in certain ways can pay dividends too, not just in goodwill, but I mean, literally financially. And I think the Everton brand, that, it's an easy brand to attack though. That's some of the challenges around it if people are nefarious, but in the business of football, I mean, this is obvious plastic stuff. I mean, who are you competing with here? Some of these guys come across as like, I think I called 
one of them, a Bond villain, basically before. And so when you see things like this from people like Stan Collymore, who I you know don't agree with everything he says, but man, this this is some pretty great stuff. So here's his tweet. Everton created the first in the community, engaging supporters on everything from mental health to education. Your point was in the first session, Bramley Moore, Doc, that public consultation. Can you imagine Liverpool would ever do anything like that based on their behavior? Heck no. Farhad Mashiri himself. People keep saying, oh, well, you would join if you got the chance. Would he? Really? Would he? He said he wouldn't. So stop saying that garbage because that's once again, that's the problem. If you really think that, oh, you would anyway, because you're not a good person, like that's accepting of your ownership behaving that way. That's right. garbage. Change your mindset, man. That's wrong. Farhad is spending 50 million pounds of his own money to retain some heritage aspects of the dock. Are you kidding me? And but that just really shows like how low these people had to go like you had to go to the what yeah. about uh what if it was you you would have done the same thing that make you feel better that's your justification for the horrible thing oh it just it shows that they really had no defense and uh it was it was nice to see i will say it was nice to see for a short period of time virtually all of the footballing world united in one in unison in what is a typically very tribal sport for everyone to come together against uh, what I view is just frankly like an evil influence on the game uh, was was inspiring in a lot of ways, I think. And most of the fan groups, too. I mean, the Manchester yeah. fans, I think, are they have a lot of real, true football fans, truly. Of and course. They've been through tragedy and lots of things, too. And they're very loyal group that have, I mean, FC United was created for for partially this reason. And they've been through a lot. Um, wrapping up what Stan, Stan said, I think, is really good. He said, a club I never played for, but still drops me a line to ask about mental health initiatives. So not surprised at all if their stance today never change Everton. I think any club can get behind this. Um, and one last one I wanted to add too, and I never include Paul's commentary on our post-match because he, he tends to talk more esoterically. I don't know what to say, but he's one of the most balanced guys out there and always has very good, intelligent, well-thoughtful messages. And I just think that this sums it up very well because I, I don't quite have, I mean, I'm older, but I don't quite have the history that many people do. So Paul Tran at Paul Tran Trainer. I've seen us win championships. FA Cups and the Cup Winners Cup. That statement yesterday was the proudest Everton have made me. I mean, can't, can't say it better than that. It's it's a proud moment when you know that, uh, you know, the thing that you spend so much of your emotional uh, output supporting and, and rooting for and energy, you know, even across the pond here in America, supporting and doing the podcast and everything to know that, you know, you feel like your personal values are, are reflected in that group. And, uh, you know, it, it's the best club in the world. Say it time and time again. Very fortunate and, and grateful to be an Everton fan after days like today when Americans around me, uh, you know, fans of other clubs were just disgusted by what they saw. Um, and so yeah. it is great. You just feel chosen. You know, I've always felt that way. Absolutely. I felt like this wasn't a choice, you know, from that first day I walked into Goodison and hung around Liverpool and met every fantastic. I'll tell that story one day, the true long story about how I became an Evertonian. But um, the place is magic and the people are wonderful. And I, I mean, it's just so nice to have everyone singularly rallied around this theme. And I don't think it prevents us from winning at all. I think that's crazy. Uh, and it just, you know, look, it's still going to take a little bit of time, but let's hope we carry over that spirit onto the pitch. Uh, we still have a lot of important matches left, but man, I'll tell you what, off the pitch, God, best club, best club in the world. And I can't wait. You know, obviously we extended Marcel Brands today. We'll talk about that Three in another episode. Years. Yeah, I think Three that, more I think that's really important. Um, the point is going forward. Um, 
you know, I think this is a nice feather in our cap, but yeah, some things definitely need to be done. It's nice to see Everton take a leadership aspect in this. And I think it's only going to, only going to translate and result into more positive things downstream for Everton. So, and, and, and Hey, we are true. We were true to the motto the last 48 hours for sure. A hundred percent. And it's just karma, right? You get what you get out, what you put in, you get what, you know, good energy out there and uh, you'll be rewarded. I I believe that three more years of Marcel into Bramley Moore and uh, we'll really be cooking, but I think that's a good place to uh, wrap up this episode. Thank you for every, thank you everyone for tuning in and listening to us. Really appreciate it. As always be sure to give a like and subscribe to Toffee TV, follow us uh, at American Toffee podcast. You can find all our stuff at linktr.ee slash USA Toffee Pod. Otherwise, uh, until next time, up the toffees. <laughs>